Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the King's House podcast. We are a non-denominational church located in McAllister, Oklahoma, reaching and serving those in our community and around the world. We believe that church is not something you go to, but it's a family you belong to. And a house is just a house until the family's there. Then that house becomes a home. So today, we want to say welcome home as we jump into today's service. Good morning, King's House. How are we today? So wonderful to see you here this morning. It's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it? I didn't really do well um, social distancing with COVID. Uh, it goes against my nature. It really does. I mean, I'm, I'm a hugger. I'm a toucher. But um, give me a room full of people I haven't bathed in four or five days. I will social distance as far as you need me to. But I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. And uh, do we have a good God that we serve or what, King South? Man, such a great God. I love that last song so much, man. That song is just my jam. Uh, nothing else will do. I, I hope you're aware this morning that there is one and only one source of true joy that exists on planet Earth. There is one and only one source of true peace, of true happiness, of true life, of what, whatever it is that your heart is searching for this morning. There's, there's only one true source that you can find that, that there's nothing else. Everything that your heart's looking for is found in that one place, in that one thing. His name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much today. And, uh, man, he wants to have a very real, a very personal, a very experiential, a very intimate relationship with each and every person that's in this room this morning. Do you believe that, King's House? Yeah, we're on part three of this series this morning called Fan or Follower. And two weeks ago, that's the question I asked, are you a fan or a follower? We, we, we dove in a little bit to what that meant. And last week, uh, back in, felt like the quarantine life. But, but last week, I, I spoke, I asked the question, do you know him? Do you really know him? In, in that intimate way that he wants to know you, that personal, experiential, intimate way. I hope that many of us, all of us, allow the Holy Spirit to really search our hearts and ask some of those questions. Do I really, do I really not know about him with my head, but do I really know him? Have I experienced him with my heart the way that he wants us to? I hope that you could all answer yes to that question. And today the question I want to ask you is, are you really ready to follow? the title of the message this morning. Are you really ready to follow? I want to dive in today. Uh, I got my boots on again. I'm going to probably step on a few toes before the morning's over. Don't worry, one more Sunday and I'll be back to uh, not wearing cowboy boots on stage. All God's people said. Yeah. <laughs> but I really want to dive into what does it mean to really follow? To really follow. The verse that we've been looking at for several weeks, we're going to look at again this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 9. It gives us four really key ingredients that I want to break down this morning. But it says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Now, we're going to break down all four of these parts. We're going to break this down today to, to discover what does it really mean to follow after Jesus. First and foremost, I got some great news for you, King's House. Are you ready for some good news? 
Do you know who is qualified to follow Jesus? Do you know who, who God wants to follow after him? Do you know who that's available to? It gives us, it gives us the, in the very first of that verse, it says, if anyone. Come on, man, that is some good news. Do you believe that this morning? Anyone, anywhere, everyone, everywhere is welcome to follow after Jesus. Like you have this invitation to come and get to know me, to come and follow after me. And this invitation supersedes any number of mistakes. That's some good news for you people. You should have said a bigger amen. It overcomes any amount of mistakes, any amount of failures. It has nothing to do with your social status, with your financial status. All those things are irrelevant. If you have air in your lungs this morning, you fall into that category, anyone. That is the hope that we have in the gospel. The gospel is for anyone. It's for everyone. He has beautiful things for every person in this room. God has incredible, beautiful plans and hopes and futures for you. I want to give you a few examples. Matthew, who was a disciple, was a tax collector, one of the most uh, untrustworthy, dishonest people that existed on the planet at that time. He was a tax collector. Mary Magdalene was full of demons when Jesus found her. Mary, the sister of Martha, was a prostitute when Jesus found her. Are you feeling encouraged yet? Luke was a doctor when he decided to follow after Jesus. Paul, when he had an encounter with Jesus and decided to be a follower, was one of the most educated people on planet Earth. What I'm trying to express to you today is it doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum. From one of the most prominent to one of the most successful, I have my life put together people, to over here on this end, my life is a complete and total dumpster fire. There's hope for you this morning that there is nothing so broken that Jesus can't put back together. There is nothing so powerful that his cross can't overcome. That's the incredible hope that every person in this room has this morning. You fall into that category, friend, if anyone would come after me. Somebody say amen this morning. Yes. Point number two is just that, if anyone would come after me. This is what it looks like to be a follower. This phrase is an action. Come after me. We talked about several weeks ago that a relationship isn't defined by words. I mean, we can say all sorts of things. A relationship isn't defined by words. A relationship is defined by, it's defined by actions. And that's what this is. If anyone would come after me, following Jesus should be this passionate pursuit of somebody that has captivated you. A passionate pursuit of somebody that you are completely and totally and madly in love with. That's what the Christian journey should be. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of do this, don't do this, do this, don't. We've made church that in so many ways. Do I have a witness? That's why the majority of people don't want to come to church. Watch out. But having a relationship with Jesus isn't a, a list of rules or a list of rules or uh, of do's or don'ts. It's you are passionately in love with Jesus and you are passionately pursuing, I'm coming after Jesus. I am married to the most incredible, the most beautiful, the most wonderful human being that God ever made, Miss Erica Hinnon. She is wonderful. She's serving in nursery this morning where she serves two or three times a week because she, two or three times a month because she loves the king's house. And she believes in you and she wants to serve you because that's what leaders should do. Come on, somebody. If you're too good to serve, then you are not good enough to lead. That's a whole different sermon. I'm sorry. That's a different one. Uh, 
we've been married for almost 16 years. And uh, we dated for about three years before then. So when I was pursuing Erica, and I want you to know, like, I passionately pursued Erica. I dated Erica in high school. I was young, and I was dumb and immature, right? Because after dating Erica for about a year, I broke up with Erica. Yeah, I did, which was just a terrible, I mean, a terrible decision. But then I went through two years of hell with another individual. And sometimes it takes going through a little bit of hell to realize, like, what a good thing you had to begin with. It's kind of like before this week started, we probably really didn't appreciate running water all that much until you don't have running water and you realize, like, holy cow, this is one of the most precious things I have in my life, right? So I pursued Erica. It wasn't uncommon for me to be driving home. I lived in Seminole. She lived in Shawnee. It wasn't uncommon for me to be driving home 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning after spending time with Erica. That doesn't sound that impressive until you realize that Mark is usually in bed by 9 o'clock. Like, I'm making a sacrifice here. If I'm staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning to spend time with you, I care about you a whole, I mean a whole bunch. I pursued Erica. I took her shopping all the time. I hate shopping with a passion. I would rather like someone pull my fingernails off one at a time with needle nose. I hate shopping, but I took her shopping all the time. I showered her with gifts, and I am the biggest cheapskate on planet Earth. I hate spending money, but I am pursuing this person, doing whatever it takes. The joke was on her because once we got married, she was stuck with me. I no longer shop. (laughs) Sorry, babe. Joke's on you. But in this crazy, irresponsible, those little ridges on the sides of the road saved my life so many times as I fall, fell asleep at the wheel. But that's how our pursuit of God should look in so many ways. We should have some crazy stories, you and I. We should. About how we pursued God. And people in our lives, people around us should say, like, you did what for God? You gave up What? You, you sold what? You lost. I mean, it, it's, to the average person, it should blow their mind. Like, why would you do that? Well, you don't understand. Like, I have been completely captivated by this individual. Like, I am in love with this individual. I'm willing to do anything it takes to be with this individual. Matthew chapter 13, this little parable illustrates this point so well. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. He finally found what he was looking for, that that missing piece of his heart, that thing that he had searched for. He finally found it. I love the way this verse phrases it because he didn't have to. Nobody made him. He didn't begrudgingly or regretfully go, i got to go sell everything I have. No, the word says in his joy, I mean in his captivation of what he found, in his excitement of what he found, I'm selling everything. I have finally found what it is. My heart has looked for my entire life. Nothing, no one, nowhere is going to keep me from having this. I'm I'm not just going to hide it. I'm going to buy the whole stinking field. I want my whole life to be wrapped up in this treasure. That's what your life should look like, friends. 
When Jesus finally found you, you should be captivated. You should be completely and totally and passionately in love. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I can't get enough of this man, man Jesus. I've never experienced anything like him. I've never felt anything like him. I've never had a love like the way that he loves me. And once you experience that love, King Sal, some of you looking at me this morning like maybe you haven't experienced that love. But once you've experienced that love, nothing else compares to it. And you're willing to do anything and you're willing to do everything to have more and more of that love. You want Jesus to be your anything and your everything. You're willing to give everything you have to him. The problem is, is that that's not how a lot of Christians approach a relationship with Jesus. It's not. Many Christians want to be what I would call a cohabitant with Jesus. They want all the blessings of a relationship with Jesus, but they don't want any of the sacrifice. Again, that's the fine print that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, the blessings, the, the health and the wealth and the blessings. Let's talk about, but let's not talk about any of the sacrifice. They want all the pleasure that's associated with that personal, intimate relationship that you can have with Jesus. But you don't want to risk any of the pain. You don't want to count the cost. Let's put it in layman's terms as if we are in McAllister, Oklahoma. You really enjoy all the free milk, but you don't want to buy the cow. We want to cohabitate with Jesus. The appearance of something meaningful and deep and real, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I've, I've been married to Erica for almost 16 years. Uh, I wrote some vows to Erica at our wedding almost 16 years ago. I found those vows this week, and uh, I want to read those vows to you this morning. And, and maybe it will help paint a, a, a little bit of a picture that I'm talking about, give you some secret to success here today. It says, I, Mark, take you, my dearest Erica, to be my cohabitant, to have sex with you at my leisure, and share all necessary bills with you. I'll be around as long as things are good, but could potentially disappear if things get a little rough. This gets me emotional just reading this all over again. Whew. If you get a cold or some other type of minor illness, I'm willing to go to the drugstore for you. If you, however, become seriously ill and are no longer able to meet my needs physically, emotionally, or sexually, I'll be forced to move on. I'm sure you understand. Forsaking most others, I will be reasonably faithful to you for as long as it feels good or remains convenient for me. If or should I say when, we inevitably break up. Please don't think that this wasn't special to me. It was. I commit to live with you for as long as this works out for the both of us. And as you can imagine, like those words just swept her off her feet. And here we are 16 years later, so I'll give you a copy of those if anybody wants those later. Yes, yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Hands going up all over this building. Thank you, Lord. Where's the golden ticket? Get the golden ticket. It's time. It's free, free, free. Uh, I've watched that video a hundred times. Obviously, that was not the vows that I wrote to Erica. 
obviously. But sadly enough, that is the vows that we write to Jesus in so many ways. I'm signing up for the blessings. I want the good stuff, the health and the wealth and the future and the hope. But as soon as things get a little bit rough, or as soon as it seems like my life doesn't line up exactly with what that word's saying, it was a good run, Jesus. It was special for me. It was. Don't ever think that it wasn't, Jesus. I appreciate what you did for me. Friends, the reality is today that Jesus is not interested in being your side chick, and he is not interested in being your weekend fling. One night stands do not interest him in any way, shape, or form. Jesus wants to be your one, and he wants to be your only. He gave everything he had so that he could have a relationship with you. And in return, he is expecting you to give everything you have, your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole existence. In return, Jesus, I want you just as much as you want me. That's what a relationship with Jesus looks like today, friends. You can say amen. You can say ouch, whatever you want to say. If anyone would come after me, forsaking all others, Jesus, I want you more than I want anything else. And if you will deny himself, I know this is a four-letter word, and I know that it's a word that we don't like to use in the American church, but I want you to know that it's impossible for you to deny yourself, it's impossible for you to come after Jesus if all your time is spent chasing after the things that you want. Those two worlds don't coexist. You can't come after Jesus and come after your own desires all at the same time. You can't have two masters. You will love one and you will hate the other, the word says. In Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler who approached Jesus one day. He said, master, teacher, this guy was a, a real fan of Jesus. Master, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Like, What a big league question to ask Jesus, right? And Jesus List off several laws from the Old Testament. Well, you know, don't steal, don't kill, do this, do that. The rich young ruler is feeling so, so confident and wonderful about himself in that moment. He says, Master, I have kept all of those laws since I was a boy. The scripture said that Jesus looked at him with love and said, that's so true, but you lack one thing. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The passage says that the rich young ruler was grieved, he was heartbroken, and he walked away from Jesus that day, very discontented. I want you to know today that Jesus does not need your money. I'm going to say that one more time for the ones in the back. Jesus does not need your money. He does not need your possessions. The creator of the universe is not interested in your carnal, physical belongings. He's not interested in those things. What he is interested in, however, he's interested in your heart. This rich young ruler wanted all the benefits of a relationship with Jesus, but he didn't want it to cost him anything, right? He wanted the milk. He wasn't interested in paying for the cow. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's not about the haves or the have-nots. But what it is about is that Jesus wants to bring you to this place in your life, this crossroads, that each and every one of us is going to face at some point in our life. That crossroads looks different for, for every person in this room, but he brings us to this crossroads, and we have to ask ourselves this question, will I choose fill in the blank, or will I choose Jesus? Will I choose my career, or will I choose Jesus? 
Will I, will I choose my reputation? Will I choose my future? Will I choose my hopes, my dreams, my personal aspirations? Whatever, whatever you're filling the blank is this morning, will I choose that or will I choose Jesus? For a follower of Christ, the answer is easy. There's nothing worth keeping if it keeps me away from having Jesus. I walk away from, from homes, from jobs, from belongings, from careers, whatever the cost. There, there's no cost too great. I want Jesus more than I want anything else. But a fan wants to put in what I think we should call some exception clauses when it comes to following after Jesus. It's like you're selling a house and somebody makes you an offer on the house. And you say, yeah, I'll accept that offer, but... I'm keeping the refrigerator, the washer, the dryer, the, like, I'm agreeing to these terms, but fans want exception clauses. I'm willing to give you my marriage, Jesus, but stay out of my checkbook, if you would, right? I'm willing to give you my time. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to, 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 to give some of my time. But stay away from my reputation. We, Jesus, don't touch that. And I think if we investigate our lives, we all have those areas. Well, I'm willing to give God this, and I'm willing to give God this, and I'm willing to give God. But Jesus, don't touch this over here. This is my little pet project I got going on. I heard an interesting phrase this week. It's called flexitarian. This is an actual thing. It's kind of like you're a vegetarian, except you're not. You're a flexitarian. And a flex, this is actually, this is real, okay? I'm not making this up. A flexitarian diet is a diet centered on plant foods, but I'm going to eat some occasional meat. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm a vegetarian. I just like to eat meat. You're not a vegetarian. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I'm a flexitarian. I, I'm a veg, I, I identify as a vegetarian, but I just like to eat meat. I would define myself as a meatitarian. I eat meat and I occasionally throw in some starch or some other type of carb, but I only eat meat. It's absurd. This is ridiculous. But I think what we face most here in America, in the Western world, where the gospel has become so easy and so comfortable, is we have created this entire breed of, of Christianitarians. Entire breed of Christianitarians. Like, yes, I'm, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I believe in the Bible. Yeah, obviously, yes. Now, I'm going to do whatever I want to do sexually, regardless of what the Word of God says. I'm going to tear out the pages that talk about premarital sex. I'm going to tear out the pages that talk about fornication. I'm going to tear out the pages that talk about tithing. I'm going to, you know, it's, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I am. I'm going to follow the parts that I really like and the parts that don't make me uncomfortable. And how dare they challenge my way of thinking or my way of living. You better get out of my business, sir. I'm going to the church, the other church down the street. They're much nicer. They probably are. You are a Christitarian. You choose and pick out the parts of the Bible, the parts of the Word that are convenient for you, that are comfortable for you. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's really not how being a follower of Jesus works. It's okay for me to talk this way. I'm wearing my boots, okay? It's okay. This is fine. 
That's not really how being a follower of Jesus works. In the New Testament, uh, the word for follower is this Greek word, uh, I think you pronounce it doulos. <coughs> this word for follower is actually used 130 times in the New Testament. And if you actually translate it from the Greek, it doesn't mean follower. This word actually translates a slave. In the New Testament, when they were greeting each other or whatever, they were, you know, when they identified themselves, I'm a follower of Jesus, it wasn't this casual, maybe sorta, kinda, shoulda, woulda. When you identified yourself, I'm a follower, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. To further prove this point, the word for Lord in the New Testament, the Greek word for that is kurios. And this word translated in the Greek actually means master or owner of said slave. To be a follower of Jesus in the New Testament meant that I am giving away all my rights. Think about that for a little bit. A slave has no possessions that are his own, only what the master allows him to have. A slave has no identity. A slave has zero say-so. A slave has no days off. Every aspect of his life is controlled by the master. When they use the word follower in the New Testament, you're saying, I'm a slave. And when they call Jesus Lord, they were literally saying, you are the master. You are my owner. I am your slave. I've, I've given away all my rights. My life belongs completely to you. Not the most popular message here at the King's House this morning. Against the cultural norms just a little bit. But if we're going to be an actual follower of Christ, then we really need to understand what it means to be an actual follower of Christ. I'm really not interested in pastoring a church full of Christianitarians. It's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. Christianitarians don't change the world. Christianitarians don't shift cultures and change nations. I want to be a part of a group of people who are some followers of Christ. This concept doesn't seem like it's very loving. It seems a little opposite from what I talked about last week. If he's a slave owner and I'm, I'm at his beck and call, then how can I have that personal, that experiential, that intimate relationship with him? Pastor Mark, you said that's what he wants to have with me, but I'm supposed to treat him as a, as a master, as a slave owner? I think I can clarify this just a little bit, and I think I can help paint a picture of what it is that Christ is actually looking for from each and every one of us. This truth is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul's writing to the church of Rome, and this is how Paul uh, introduces himself. Paul, a bond servant, look at your neighbor and say, bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So here's what a bond servant is. A bond servant was a slave, but they were a slave by choice. Huge difference. At one point in time, this bond servant was a slave, but that slave owner set him free, gave him his freedom. And once he had his freedom, this bond servant would say, but master, you have been unbelievably good to me. You've been incredibly 
kind to me. I love my master. I don't want to live away from my master. There's nowhere else I want to go. There's nothing else I want to do. So even though he had his 100% freedom, just like each and every one of you do, God's not forcing you to serve him. He gave you this free will. He's not some master that's going to make you do things. Trust me, you guys do and say whatever it is you want to say. He's not, he's not up there with a whip and he's not throwing lightning bolts at you. But this is what he wants from you. Somebody with a free will that says, I know I have the option to walk away, but I don't want to walk away. I love my master too much. There's nobody else like my master. No one else compares to him. No one else has ever loved me like my master. So they would go to the master and say, I want to be your bondservant. They would pierce their ear. They would leave this piece of wood through their ear. And that was a sign to everyone around them. This person is a free man, but he has chosen to be a slave because his master is just that good. It, it wasn't really, it didn't represent what a good person the follower was as much as when, they, when people saw that in their ear, they had to think, this guy's master must just be incredible. And that's what it is that God wants from each and every one of us. I've said it a million times. This isn't a story about how good Mark is. It's not a story about how good you are, about how faithful you are, about how loving you are. This is not what the gospel is. The gospel is a story about how good he is about how faithful he is, about how loving he is. When you make yourself a bondservant to Jesus, it's not like kudos to you, it's kudos to man. Your master must be incredible. And he is this morning, King's House. And the amazing thing about when you surrender yourself as a slave to Jesus, when you surrender your will, when you sign over all your rights, he doesn't want you to be a slave. When you present yourself as a slave to Jesus, he says, you're actually a son. I know you came to me as a slave, but I'm going to treat you as a daughter. I am grafting you in to the family of Christ with this incredible love that John says he lavishes on us. And he doesn't stop there. He brings us into the family, and he actually gives us an inheritance into a family that we were not born into, that we did not belong to. But now, because of he's such an incredible master, every believer in this room has a, a heavenly, eternal inheritance that belongs to you. But the way you access that inheritance is you say, oh, Jesus, nobody else like you. I'm ready to be your slave. I'm signing away all my rights. I'm signing away all my possessions. I'm signing away all my time. My everything belongs to you. This is what being a follower of Jesus is. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily. Let's not sugarcoat it today, King's House. The cross is a symbol of death. It is. 2,000 years ago, if you were to see a man carrying his cross, that meant one thing. He's on death row. This is a dead man walking. His death is imminent. And each and every one of us in this room today is called to do just that. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, a real one, then you are a dead man walking. And every day he is asking you to die to yourself, to die to your desires, 
your pursuits, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, they no longer exist. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. You're a dead man walking. To be a follower of Jesus is an invitation that he wants to extend to each and every one of us today. It's an invitation to come and to die. That's the invitation. I think we need to understand today that we have this concept that God wants to do a little work on our lives. I know I got a few things to work on. and We think of it as that we got some rough edges that God just kind of needs to knock off just a little bit, just sand off those rough edges a little bit. There's some rooms in my heart that just need a little bit of touch of paint here and there. Just a little fix-up work is what I need. But that's not at all what he has for you. He's not interested in just knocking off a few edges or slapping a few coats of paint on what is your mess. He wants to completely and totally tear the house down. Start from scratch. A complete and total rebuilds when we have this attitude of God I am surrendering my mess to you I know that you are the one thing you are the only thing God I'm surrendering that to you and I'm asking you to do with me whatever it is you see fit to do this is the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus I want you to know today King South that the to carry your cross is a path that absolutely leads to death. Death to yourself, your hopes, your dreams, your desires. It's painful. The road leads to death. That's what carrying your cross leads to. But the flip side of that coin is, is that's not where the road ends. And I want to leave you some incredible hope and some incredible good news this morning that in the end, at the end of this path, at the end of this death journey, it doesn't stop with death. It actually stops with real life. Life for the very first time. Being a follower of Jesus, we've made it this game of being a good person or a bad person. That's completely false. That's not what salvation is. Salvation isn't the difference between good and bad. Salvation, being a follower of Jesus, is the difference between being dead or being alive. Those two worlds don't contradict, and that's what he wants for you. He wants you to experience real life for the very first time in your life. Some of what you think is real life and real joy and real peace is garbage. He has the best for you, King South. I want you to know today that he is not trying to hurt you. I know it's easy to hear messages like this and think that, what kind of, why would I want to serve this kind of, man, he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying desperately to help you. He loves you. He wants you to experience the love and the life that he has for you. Listen, he himself was willing to pick up his cross and follow after the will of God for his life. He himself was. And I know that on Friday, that cross looked like pain, and that cross looked like suffering and sacrifice, and that cross looked like death. That's where the road started, but that's not where the road ended because on Sunday morning when the rock was rolled away from that tomb, it wasn't about suffering and sacrifice and death anymore. All of a sudden, carrying that cross looked a whole lot more like complete and total victory and triumph and living an overcoming life. You start this journey by carrying your cross 
You start this journey by being willing to lay down your hopes and your dreams and your desire, and you die to those things. But at the end of the journey, it's so worth it because you get to step into something that is real life and real hope and real joy, the abundant life, the heavenly kind of Zoe life that he has for you, you can experience right here on planet Earth today if you're willing to die to the things that are holding you back. Die to those selfish dreams and those selfish ambitions. To let go of the second-rate garbage, as Paul would say. I would consider it all garbage, rubbish, junk in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the invitation to each and every one of us here today, King's House, is to come and follow Jesus, really follow him, to come and die, but at the end of that, to come and really live for the first time, which is what he wants for every person in this room. He loves you this morning. He has an incredible plan, a beautiful purpose, the best life, the best thing you could ever do with your life is the perfect will of God. I'm going to say it one more time. You need to get it. This needs to be a foundational truth in your life if you're going to be a follower. The best thing you could ever do with your life is the perfect will of God. Anything that's keeping you from that perfect will... Anything that's keeping you from that will, anything that's holding you back, anything that's taking the place in your arms of what he has for you, put that garbage down. Say, God, I don't care about my dreams. I don't care about my hopes. I don't care about my money, my possessions. My God, I believe today that you have the best for me. You have the best for me. God, I'm surrendering my heart today. I am making myself a bond servant, a slave to you today because you are such an incredible master. Pray with me today, King Sal's. God, I love you so much. God, I am just so thankful for the incredible invitation that every believer in this room has today. It, it, it's available to all of us, regardless of where we've been or what we've done or our background. This invitation is available for each and every one of us today to come, to come after you to deny ourselves, to, to die, to surrender to those things that are holding us back. Not because you're trying to see how, how mean and ugly you can be to us. Quite the opposite, in fact. You have so many blessings. You have so much life. You have so much joy and peace that you want us to have. But in order to have it to its fullest extent, we have to be willing to lay down those things that we hold on to so dearly. So, Father, my prayer today for every person in this room is that you would allow us to see you, that you would allow us to experience you, your love, your presence in such a way that it would cause the things of this world to grow so strangely dim, that they would just fail in comparison. Because that's the reality. The life that we could create for ourselves fails in comparison to the life that you have for us as being a true follower of Jesus. Do a deep work in our heart, Holy Spirit. I pray these words, these seeds would find fertile ground in our hearts that you could water and nurture, that you could cause this gospel to grow in our hearts more and more and more. Jesus, I love you. I love this body so much. Father, bless them today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said. 
Hey, give God some praise this morning, King's House. Well, uh, I, I plan on being here Wednesday for small groups. Uh, unless there is a, a hurricane or tornadoes in the middle of February or a catastrophic flood or I'm scared to even imagine um, a tidal wave. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, be here. We're going to worship. We're going to break into small groups. God bless you. Have a great week, King's House. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are in need of prayer or wish to speak to one of our pastors, please email us at info at thekingshouse.church. And if you would like to give towards the ministry of the King's House, you can do so by visiting our website, thekingshouse.church forward slash giving, or by texting any dollar amount to the number 84321 and respond to the prompts sent back to you. If you're ever around the area and you want to visit us, we meet every week at 124 B. Hubert Smith Drive in McAllister, Oklahoma. You can even plan your visit with us ahead of time where you can reserve your seats, your parking spot, and even pre-check in your kids before you arrive on the Sunday of your choosing. Just fill out the quick form at thekingshouse.church forward slash plan your visit. Hey, we know life is busy, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you can catch all of our latest messages. We look forward to seeing you real soon.